This podcast is a TWTT production. Let's enjoy sake. Hot on. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of TWTT, the podcast. My name is Simone Maynard from Melbourne, Australia, and joining me, as always, is Maki Tanaka from Tokyo, and moving forward, as always, or nearly always, from Osaka is Julian Hausman. Maki, Julian, how are you guys tonight? Very good, thank you. I'm very well, too. That's good. That's good. Now, how's the weather over there? It's actually getting better. It's cooler today. Good. I was going to say today's we're like well almost to the end of September, but today was, is the first day that actually felt a little bit like autumn. But today for for me was kind of the first day that felt like proper spring. So I started the day with a dip in the bay, which was amazing. Uh, and now tonight talking to you guys, and we uh, have a special guest this evening, who we've all met in person, um, and who has played a big role in TWTT. He's been attending since the very early days and in 2020, which was the first year of TWTT, he actually joined us for a social session, which we didn't quite know where we were going with the social session. I think it was the first one that we'd done, but everybody just wanted to chat because most of us were in lockdown. And Robert gave us a virtual tour of his gallery uh, and (laughs) gave us a wonderful impromptu chat on pottery. And since then, he's helped uh, start the MTA sessions, which is Meet the Artisan, which was a sister project of TWTT. Obviously not as many sessions. We're up to 121 will be the next one for TWTT. But MTA, I think we did about eight or so sessions, but uh, they were all very, very enjoyable. And who's to say that there aren't more in the future that we'll be able to do. But I, I talk, of course, of uh, Robert Yellen from Kyoto. Uh, Robert is well known amongst the TWTT community and the wider sake community and, of course, the ceramic uh, community and ceramic collectors across the globe. So we're very, very honoured to be chatting to Robert tonight. Robert, welcome to our podcast and thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure. And thank you for inviting me to, um, you know, rap and talk about sake vessels and sake in general and sake culture and our mutual love of it. Thank you. Wonderful to have you. And yes, it is a mutual love and it's how we all we all came to meet each other. And of course, through you, we've all managed to learn a little bit more about pottery, Japanese pottery in particular. And my collection has pretty much gone from zero to, <laughs> to big enough to not be able to fit in uh, in any particular cupboard uh, unless I get rid of other vessels and crockery, etc. So uh, my husband thinks it's um, becoming a little bit of an obsession. Uh, mind you, he uh, he quite enjoys sipping from them too. So, <laughs> but <laughs> I thought we might yeah. start start tonight's chat though with a little bit of uh, World Sake Day talk. Now, um, being the time of year that it is, we are creeping up on the 1st of October. And of course, the 1st of October is World Sake Day. Last year, I was lucky enough to be in Japan for World Sake Day. It was my first time traveling since the whole COVID and and lockdown, et cetera. And I was lucky enough to be able to be led into Japan before the masses of tourists were able to, um, thanks to Sake Samurai. And Robert Yellen was one of my first stops, and it was the first time that I'd met him in person, but it felt like we'd known each other for years through doing these uh, online events. But when World Sake Day came around, um, we went down to the Kamogawa with our sake cups and bottles of sake, and Julian was one of the people that met us on the banks of the river, along with uh, several other TWTT Um, community members and we had a lovely evening sipping sake and everybody brought a bottle or two and shared sake with friends but world sake day coming up just wondering what do you guys have planned well actually I haven't planned anything there are lots of events going on and I am tempted to go to many of them but since it's the day before I leave for Australia I kind of want to leave it open (laughs) 
<laughs> but since um so you guys know sake street um my friend toshi runs it runs the store and uh, matsui-san from uh, kagura is coming there on the first of october to pour sake um as part of a, a larger event so i am tempted to actually do that bit and um call it my world sake day <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds like a great plan. And, of course, um, Matsui Shuzo featured on TWTT in the first year and uh, we've all visited that particular brewery as well, I believe. Julian, have you visited Matsui Shuzo in Kyoto? No, I haven't. I haven't oh? actually. No, no. I, but I I've, I've was recently talking to them about, about making a visit, so it's, it's definitely on my list. Yeah, well, funny we should mention them. I'm wearing their T-shirt this evening. They're I noticed that. Parallel fermentation T-shirt. <laughs> and they're, very, they're very close to my gallery as well. They're the yes. closest Shuzo to where I sit. Yes, and yeah. I was actually pouring sake um, alongside him. Yesterday there was an event in Tokyo and he was part of it and um, his sake got the first award. I first saw that. Yeah, it was the gra- graduates of Waseda University or something like that. Versus Ko. Versus and- Ko, and there were like seventy some odd people, and it was a popularity vote, and yes. he got number one, and he posted that on his, uh, you know, book of face page. He got okay. <laughs> he got number one. Uh, he got voted number one. His sake he squeezed the day before. He wow. brought six bottles that were to be entered. And um, that that was all worth it. And I did not get a drip of it because everybody <laughs> else drank it. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> well, maybe all the more reason to go uh, to uh, to Saki Street and see if you can get more than more than a drip or a drop uh, <laughs> this time around. Um, Julian, any plans for World Saki Day? I am actually also undecided uh, at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people by now who've been in Japan, who've ever been in Japan around World Sake Day, um, might be aware of an event called the Nihonshu Go Around, which actually originated in Osaka, and um, it's basically it's basically a pub crawl um, where all the a lot of a lot of uh, sake bars and sake restaurants around Osaka are tagged with a a brewery, and in each of these bars there'll be a, a brewer or a kuramoto or someone representing the brewery, and they'll have a few of their sake and. It, uh, to participate, you buy a badge in advance and everyone's walking around the street wearing these uh, Nihon should go around badges and you can go to the various uh, bars and restaurants and for a very reasonable price, maybe 500 yen, you can get a, gla- a cup of sake and a little, a little you know, dish, a little something to eat as well from the, from the restaurant. And I used to participate in that uh, religiously, but to be honest, I've, it's, like I said, it's pretty much a pub crawl. So it's not really, even though like on paper you look at it and you see all these amazing breweries that are going to be around town and you kind of think, oh, I'm going to go there and I want to talk to that brewery and I want to talk to that brewer and ask questions. And in reality, when you get there, there's often lines out the front mm. of the, the popular places. And then when you get inside, it's really a rush to like, you know, serve people and you don't really get to, to talk to them, um, you know, in, in a relaxed kind of environment. So it's although it's a lot of fun and you meet a lot of people and you drink a lot of sake, it's... I feel like I'm getting a little bit too old for it. Um, so I'm looking to have a bit of a more of a, a demure um, sake day this year. So there are increasing, I mean, a few years ago, it was like there was almost nowhere else to go. It was like all the places were participating, in, at least in Osaka, um, mm-hmm. were participating in this event. But now there's a few um, bars and restaurants that have kind of stepped back from it. So, and they do a bit, they do kind of more, you know, adults, shall we say, you know, more yeah. mature. Um, that's not a nice way to put a it. More intimate, it? A more intimate, the more intimate. Yeah, more intimate, relaxed kind of way of, of celebrating Sake Day with just some quiet events and things like that. So I'll probably do something like that, I think. Yeah. Um, just maybe visit a couple of places. that. Feel, but, yeah, I've, I feel like the, the pub crawl thing is a little bit beyond me these days. But um, And it's the, that event has spread from Osaka to, like, v- pretty much all of Japan. I think even up, up in Hokkaido they're doing it. So yeah. I've heard that if in, you're in other areas like Gifu or... Okoyama and places like that where it's obviously not as bu- busy and doesn't have the population that Tokyo or Osaka have it's it's the event is quite a, a more relaxed kind of uh day but in Osaka it gets pretty hectic and it gets pretty messy so well maybe you need to jump prefectures 
That's what I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I was I was thinking of like maybe you know making a day of it and heading out to somewhere you know one of the other quieter kind of areas in Kansai, maybe head out to Shiga or you know do it on a on a smaller scale. That excludes Tokyo, I believe, but uh, the uh, sake event that I mentioned with Matsui and Sake Street is part of Nihonshugo around in Tokyo. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Robert, what about you? Any plans for World Sake Day this year? Every day is World Sake Day. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I didn't. I don't really follow the festivals or events like you just mentioned, and I'm not even aware of any that might be going on in Kyoto. Um, no, I actually have no plans but just to enjoy sake that evening from another fine cup and uh, tokuri and, you know, talk to Larry. Yeah. <laughs> well, every every day is World Sake Day for most of us. Uh, so for myself, yeah. I will be in Sydney. Uh, I will be taking part, of course, in Sake Festival, the Australian Sake Festival. Earlier this year, we held the festival in Melbourne at the Vic Market, uh, where I got to meet Philip Harper in person, finally. Um, this time around, it's Sydney's turn. So I'll be heading up there um, on the Thursday and uh, we have the Sake Australian Sake Awards ceremony on the Friday uh, and then Saturday and Sunday is the Sake Festival. And on World Sake Day, uh, we'll be doing Kagami Biraki and talking a little bit about uh, World Sake Day, amongst other things. Um, I'm also lucky enough to be holding a Sake 101 seminar on World Sake Day, and I'll be having a chat on stage with Wayne Shannon, who will be coming over from Tokyo uh, and helping celebrate World Sake Day in Sydney, Australia. And he's also doing a great workshop too, and he'll be part of our trade event on the Monday. So it's going to be a big, uh, a big weekend of sake, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Whatever any of us uh, are doing, any of anyone who who's listening, um, hopefully World Sake Day is a wonderful day and a day filled of sake or filled of full sake cups. <laughs> Speaking of sake cups, Robert, you are our sake uh, vessel guru, our yakimono expert. Those who are listening, most of our audience, I would imagine, have a pretty good understanding about who you are and what you do, but maybe we'll just, for those who don't, um, you arrived in Japan in 1984, so you've been living over there ever since. Didn't really know that you'd end up doing what you're doing as far as pottery goes, but through living over there, developed a fascination and an appreciation for the craft, for the artists, and you started collecting pottery. You started writing articles in English about pottery because there weren't that many around. You wrote for the Japan Times is you, I think, had an online store and then finally an in-person physical store. And now you are based in Kyoto on the Philosopher's Path and have the most beautiful gallery that I've been fortunate enough to visit a couple of times. That was a lovely introduction. And I, you know, um, was in, in, came here uh, in that year that you mentioned uh, with not much money and I couldn't afford any California wine where I had come from. So I started to drink, drink sake. And um, the only book that was available at the time in English was by Kondo Hiroshi, I think it was, uh, The Joy of Sake, The Art of Sake, published by Kodansha International. And one of the pages had this beautiful color photos of all these different sake vessels. And I'm going, okay, that's how you do it you drink it from one of these vessels. And so I went out, basically uh, bought my first sake cup at a local supermarket in like aisle seven with all the crockery for 300 yen. And that's how it started. Mm. And, you know, it just adds such a different dimension to the enjoyment of this beverage. I mean, sake vessels have been being made for centuries uh, for the uh, specific enjoyment of the beverage. And just like any wine or any um, other alcoholic beverage, there are certain vessels that are made to be used to enjoy them. And Japan, of course, with the variety of sake and the variety of sake vessels, uh, leads the world in that respect. Um, and so I started to write the column because of John Gauntner, our dear friend. He was writing, and I talked to him at early on in the columns, 
John, you know, it's not just the sake, but all these great vessels. And he goes, well, maybe you should write a column about that. And that's how that kind of started. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've um, been enjoying sake throughout my almost 40 years in Japan. And every day I have to hold a certain cup or a certain pokuri uh, of sorts. And, and tonight I'm drinking from this welcoming autumn colored shigaraki with its nice orange crisp tones and something like you would hear the sound of a crunchy autumn forest as you walk through it. That's mm. the way I feel holding this cup. And, um, you know, Japan, of course, now is Hiroshi season uh, or uh, Akiyagari, right? And these vessels empower us, our, our bodies. I look at a lot of this in a philosophical way. We live within the seasons, and sake is released within the seasons. Why not match the sake you're drinking with a vessel that it's been, you know, suggested to use? You know, you don't have to. You know, um, John and I used to do these seminars slash parties, and John would always say, copious amounts of sake are about to flow, and you can have more if you want. And, um, and then I would talk about the vessels. And uh, most people weren't aware of that. You know, they just wanted to drink. 90% hmm. didn't care if it was in a paper cup, a plastic cup, or if it was poured into their mouth. <laughs> they, But maybe 10% of the people wanted to know about the culture behind it. And there's a lot of culture surrounding sake. Uh, not only the vessels, but, you know, a kaiseki meal of sorts, um, starting with uh, the way of tea. And... Um, I just fell in love with the idea of using something seasonal for sake and thus this nice autumn cup. In the winter, maybe something darker and heavier that'll keep you warm. Stoneware, bizen, shigaraki, uh, tamba, something that has heft to it that, you know, will, will keep you warm just by looking at it. In the spring, maybe shino with its light pink colors or hagi with some of the same. And it, it makes you aware of how your own life flows with the seasons. And in the summer, porcelain, cold to the touch, uh, bluish white porcelain, seihakuji, because it has this icy blue feel to it that all automatically makes you feel cool just looking at it. So to flow in seasons with harmony and appreciation of your own life, uh, you should have vessels that reflect that. And it's, so it's not just not just about drinking, it's about being in tune with the universe. It, it, it's interesting, Robert, listening to you talk about pottery is actually what inspired me to start collecting it. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily the pieces that you were holding up. It was the way you spoke about it. Um, and and the way you described how you felt when you when you were drinking from particular vessels, and I've I really enjoy uh, that that whole um, you know a lot of the time I do I'll, I'll just get a, a glass out of the cupboard and I'll pour myself a glass of sake and I'll just drink for the sake of of having a drink, but th there is a real ceremony to uh, you know selecting a ritual to selecting a particular vessel to think really thinking about what what I how I'm feeling, what the weather's like, um, what particular cup I feel like drinking from. Do I want a thick lip? Do I want a thin lip? Um, you know, how do I want to hold the cup, et cetera? What size cup? Um, and it it really does, I guess for me, that's one of the reasons I fell in love with Japanese culture was that whole ideal or idea of ritual, of ceremony. Um, and it's lovely to be able to to do that with sake, uh, but it's also a matter of making the time to do that because I feel a lot of the time we're living so such a fast-paced existence <laughs> that that it just seems easier to to put, pull a glass out of the cupboard and and pour myself a glass of sake. Whereas I think for me, when I have that time to sit down and actually savor something, that's when I always go to the ceramic vessels and I really think about. Uh, the experience that I'm looking for. So it's nice to have a, a, a little humble collection now where I'm able to able to do that depending on on the vibe of the moment. Absolutely. You know, and I may add that, you know, during those busy times of your day and you just want to drink, of course, 
pouring it into a glass and just getting it over with him. Not over with, but, you know, okay. But it roots you in the present, unlike any other vessel, because it's made with the earth. It's made with the human touch. It's made with the elements of our existence of water and air and fire and clay. And as Lao Tzu said in the sixth century, the intangible spirit of the potter and the more highly developed a potter is as a human being, the better his or her pot, for there's no real beauty without character, quote unquote. So there's, there's lots of, of, of nourishment that a cup that is made by a, a ceramic artist or a potter can impart to your existence, not just what the beverage is, it's also the element of like holding poetry, holding a poem. Mm. And of course, as you mentioned, the thickness of the lip, the shape of the cup will change the flavor profile. So I invite all listeners to take one style of sake, just this one bottle, and pour it into different vessels, one with a thin lip, one with a thick lip, one with a shallow open face, one with a cylindrical tall shape. And the way that it hits your tongue and the way you tilt your head back will certainly affect how the flavor profile goes. And I'm also hoping, listeners, that you don't have to buy Japanese pottery. Go to a local artisan and ask them, a potter, ask them in your community, um, you know, I really like sake, this Japanese, you know, beverage, and I'm looking for some handmade cups. Um, I like this shape, and I would like to commission you if possible. Uh, and then you're not only supporting local craftsmen, you're also supporting sake. So anybody who's listening, there are potters in your community, and I bet you they'd be thrilled. What? You want me to make a cup for a sake? For, you know? I've never had done this before. So you inspire them and you also introduce them to sake. So go support your local artists and order some sake vessels. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, before we get to perhaps some questions from Maki and Julian and uh, talk a little maybe about certain regions, um, I, I just, this is, this is a topic that comes up a lot and it's that whole glass versus ceramic. And I think versus is probably the wrong word that gets thrown around because they all have a purpose. Uh, and I think all of us in this, in this chat use both, um, Robert, you're probably more likely to use pottery more often than not, but I'm sure still can enjoy sake from, from a glass vessel. And it's funny because I feel like for me personally, I've done this, <clears throat> excuse me, this full circle. So when I first started drinking sake, of course, it wasn't really good quality sake. It was it was cheap sake and it was heated uh, to buggery, excuse my language, but uh, it was served in small white ochoco and I, I really didn't have an appreciation for the vessel, the sake, but it still wasn't enough to turn me off. So I'm, I'm fortunate to be one of those people that was still curious enough about the culture and about the, the drink. And then, of course, dis discovered great sake. And doing educational work with sake, I often do say to people when they're starting that glassware is very useful because I think it it allows you to have a full sensory experience that's easy to understand, that's easy to grasp. So the aroma is there, the flavor is there, and the color is there. And people are familiar with this. And I know, I know, I know this is a bone of contention. And I know I've listened to other podcasts and, and and friends, friends of ours, and there's this this sort of you know ceramic versus glass, but it's not. I think they all they all have a place. Uh and, and for me now it's funny. I tell people to perhaps be, you know, use something you're familiar with. If glass is what makes you comfortable, then start with that. But I said, please be open to the idea of then once you know what you like start exploring vessels, not just sake. And for me, what I love now is that there are so many sake I know I really love and I've enjoyed them in glass, in glassware. And and now the thrill for me is actually choosing a ceramic vessel to enjoy that particular sake. And like you said, Robert, you know, the, the way you talk about pottery, it's so poetic uh, and 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 beautiful. And, you know, the experience of drinking a great sake in a great cup uh, is is one that I think you probably have to do that full circle 
of, uh, of, of, of sake appreciation or, you know, tasting before you can fully appreciate it. I don't know. What do you guys think? I couldn't agree more. And, you know, being um, many people just learning about sake and they're not aware of the ceramic vessels or the lacquer vessels or the smaller glass vessel, um, that using something they're most accustomed to, a wine glass, and of course there are wine glass makers who are making special sake, you know, stemmed cups of glasses, as we know. Any any way that you can get into it is fine, you know, and and then you'll start to study more about sake, and then you'll realize, oh, wow, you know, sake vessels, tokuri flasks, have been being made for hundreds and hundreds of years. What's the difference in taste going to be? So hopefully it will lead people to their own discovery and find out, like you said, what particular vessel, you know, enriches the experience for me. Because that's what a a vessel, a a cup, a glass can do. Uh, It adds to your appreciation of that. And uh, I couldn't agree more, Shimon, on that. You know, uh, we all started with a little, you know, uh, jagome, uh, the little, you know, ceramic porcelain cups with the cylindrical lines, little, little thimble-sized things. And that's fine. You know, it's better to start at the bottom and learn and slowly educate yourself and go on up. And then you realize, oh, wow, this 16th century kokaratsu sake cup is <laughs> 3 million yen. Mm. You know, it's best to start with a 300 yen, you know, and educate yourself. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree more. Can I jump in there, Robert? Because I'm I'm going to, I kind of represent the uh, the people that are a little bit more, you know, somewhat ignorant of yakimono. I mean, I love a, a good yakimono as much as the next person, but I, I'm not as obsessed as a lot of other people are. And I don't have a massive collection like Simone. I've got probably less than 10. None of them are sh- massively expensive ones. Um, it does, um, um, Julian, just, just just to jump in there, sorry to interrupt. Price does not affect quality. You well, know, well, that's what I want to ask you is is because one of the things that is kind of a hurdle for me sometimes, and I think maybe for other people as well with with these kind of um, things is sometimes I'll go into a shop, um, and you know, and you'll see the you'll see the, the 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 vessels that they have there, and there's I kind of think of like there's almost two types of vessels. There's like vessels that you can see like a couple of meters away and you know straight away it's just gorgeous and you go oh that's that's going to be expensive that's that's out of my price range that looks nuts and then there's other ones that you kind of see and go that's probably in my price range but then you pick it up or look at the price tag and it's not it it is even though it looks fairly simple and you go you think that this is going to be in your price range and it turns out it's not and it's like what what makes the price when there's ones that you can kind of see and kind of it's clear why this is expensive because it you know, just the colors or it's, it's crafted just looks, you know, entirely unique and special and, and you know, that the price kind of is emanating from the vessel. And then there's other ones that just are much more subtle and they, they look like they could probably just be a, a few hundred or a few thousand yen. And it turns out they're, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 yen. And I, sometimes I don't get the price uh, tag. So what, what determines the price for a lot of these vessels? Well, a lot of it is who made them. And mm-hmm. their history, um, uh, exhibition history, awards won, their uh, res- uh, designations as this or that, you know, regional important people, national important people. Um, and that dictates a lot of what goes into that cost. Um, and I've seen very, very famous people, and they make sake vessels that don't appeal to me at all. But they're very expensive because of the person and their status in the ceramic art community. And then I've seen unknown people or going to a temple market fair and seeing a, a really neat sake vessel for a thousand yen. And it just speaks to me and I, I love it. So you, you, you can get it, that, that as well. And, and price, as I said, just like sake, just because the sake, you know, isho bean or yongo bean, is more expensive than the other one doesn't mean it's better you know so when you're buying work of 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 a a cup or a flask that you're going to get intimate with you're going to be you know like having a kiss with with a lip something that appeals to you that's all that matters you know and that's why in my gallery i have no labels 
nothing is is initially uh, shown of who made it, what the price is. I want people to connect with something intuitively. So um, it, it, it can be mind boggling. And, and, you know, pottery has many uh, cl classifications. Some are part of the tea ceremony called a chadogu. Some are common crockery called uh, zaki. And for example, since a sake vessel is part of a kaiseki meal, it's elevated to a higher rank than, say, a uh, uh, sencha teacup for leaf tea called a yunomi. And a yunomi is much larger than a guinomi, but it's classified as zaki or common crockery. So even though it's larger, it's usually much less expensive. And, and you know, sake vessels have this classification as being part of a, a kaiseki meal. And anything part of a kaiseki meal basically gets elevated to a higher echelon of appreciation and cost. So aside from like the spiritual side of like, you know, you know of, of uh, finding vessels that, that speak to you, from a like a, a, a critical point of view, though, what what is when you're looking at a, a piece, what is like some of the things that make a great piece to you? Um, well, you look at the form, particularly with a, a sake vessel, you look at the lip. I'm holding a, a flask right now. Uh, you look at the lip. You you make sure that the opening to pour sake and for sake to flow out is not too wide, basically about the size of your pinky. Um, this one has a nice uh, fluted lip like a trumpet, so the sake is really easy to pour into. Um, and when you pour it out, it will make a nice rhythmical tok, 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 tok sound a poetical, you know, uh, uh, very esoteric thing. Uh, with a piece that I'm holding now, which is called Yakishime, it's a high-fired, unglazed stoneware piece, uh, you look for the firing quality, the color variations, the texture, uh, the, the different tones that match. And these are things I look for. And, and, and it has to speak to me more in my heart than my mind at first. You know, that's something... I want to learn about, live with, um, bring up. You know, they refer to bringing up a vessel, sodaru, particularly with these pieces, because the more you use them, you more the more you take sake from your cup and rub them on the outside of this unglazed, wonderful clay body. The patina rich in it becomes enriched, and that's why something that is ten years old versus four hundred years old, like Kobizen, has a completely different body feel to it. Uh, the the way that it's it's been looked at, and I've told this story before. Maybe some of you have heard it. I went to Bizen once, and this old gentleman, an old dealer, he goes, "You know, you really have to use the pieces, and you know, rub your your hands over them, dip your fingers in sake, rub them out because they will change." But the best thing is your nose oil. So he takes his finger, he rubs it his, around his old geezer nose, and he starts rubbing this flask and then a cup. And he goes, look, it's starting to shine. Look, see, my nose oil is making it really, really shine. Oh, would you like a sip of sake from this nose <laughs> oil? I'm like, that's okay, sir. You know, I'm an after five drinker. It's two o'clock, so, but I appreciate your advice on how to make a sake vessel come to life. And uh, that was fun. It, and again, it's not the price. It, it's the emotion that you get from a work. And if there's no emotion, if there's nothing that, oh, I want to go see that person again. I want to see that cup again. Uh, I want to, you know, uh, be engaged with that again. Then let it go. You know, it has to speak to you on a very poetic, philosophical level. I think, because anybody can buy a cup, you know, anybody can drink. But, it, you know, when you find something made by an artist and hopefully you go and you, you actually buy it from the artist himself or a gallery that represents that artist. And then you have a story to tell. The vessel will become like a storyteller and you'll remember where you got it and you remember the feeling talking to the artist. And again, people who are listening, seek out craftsmen in your own community they're 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 there mm -hmm. and they would love to be associated with japan because japan is a pottery mecca for uh artisans around the world they look to japan for inspiration because of the ancient cultural history of pottery 
And so you will make a local potter's day wherever you may be by going there and ask them to make a sake vessel for you. And the first person that does that, who's listening to this podcast and goes to a local potter and has something made, I will send you a reward. <laughs> or as as Shimon would say, a treat. There you go. You heard it first on TWTT, the podcast. Robert's handing out a treat <laughs> the first person that uh, follows his advice and gets in touch with us. We need photo evidence, though, Robert, surely, don't we? We need photo evidence. Oh, my word is my word. You go to a local potter, wherever you may be, in Kentucky or Bangladesh or Zimbabwe or Toronto, and the person who does this has to also evidence, you know. That's what little... I mean. That's the photo evidence, not from you. Your word is oh, it. right. I can vouch oh, for thanks. that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Because somebody's just going to go tomorrow. Like, oh yeah, look, I got this. Yeah. Like, they 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 made it overnight. It was a special delivery. Like it was it was the Amazon order. No, yeah. Shimon, thank you. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Maki, before um, we ask any more questions to Robert, though, I want to know your what about your thoughts on uh, w- w- the, on vessels, um, your sake journey. Where did where did you start with with sake? Were you were you introduced to sake in glassware or ceramicware? And I know um, you know I've been to your place. You've got your own little collection growing there of yakimono. Um, ha- what are your thoughts on the the cyclic? Uh, the, the cycle of a sake drinker when it comes to vessels? So I am the only Japanese in, in this um, group, <laughs> but I did not, um, you know, I started only drinking sake seriously a, a few years back. And when I started um, studying sake, in the classes they used all these ISO certified tasting glasses. And that's what I st- you know, stuck with. I have a set of six because I thought that was the best way to drink sake. (laughs) I was trying to um, taste sake seriously with those glasses. But um, and then I got to know Robert and he's the one who converted me to look at um, ceramicware pottery. He's laughing, but (laughs) but it's true because I thought um, buying uh, pottery just cost too much and that wasn't my realm of um expenditure and um he was like no just buy whatever you like and if it's 300 yen that's great if it's you know if you want to pay more you like it and that's fine and I didn't have to be uncomfortable about looking at pottery if Mm I um I appreciate all pottery but I appreciate that there are things that I can buy that Mm -hmm. I can afford and I started buying some. Well, I thought I was buying just one cup. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, which I bought at a um, secondhand store. But I really liked the way it looked. And um, I kept going back there to just look at it. And then it wasn't sold for weeks and weeks. And I was like, that's just waiting for me. <laughs> I decided to buy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it was very cheap for that artist because it didn't have the box. Mm. So mm. that was a, a, a revelation for me that I, I don't need a box. I just wanted the cup. So yeah. lucky me. And, of course, doing the the Meet the Artisan sessions um, with the TWTT community and with Robert was also a wonderful um, way to introduce a lot of the audience to different pottery artists artisans uh and i know tepe Terada was one of those and you actually went to one of his exhibitions maki and you bought one of his pieces and again as as we say often with with sake with the twtt sessions we talk about picturing the face of the person who made the sake and i think it's the same with the pottery and when you have met the person and you know a little bit about their story it, it enriches that experience as well when you're when you're sipping out of something they've created Infinitely, infinitely. And now I love going to exhibits and yeah. talking classes, even if I don't buy any piece. Mm, just to appreciate that. And having said that, we haven't done a kampai yet. I don't know what anyone is drinking tonight other than myself or what you're sipping out of. Um, so I'm going to start. I'm actually finishing off the Ishobin of the Tamagawa Omachi. 
that that I started uh, in our last episode. I, I, I tell a lie. We actually had two ishobins in the fridge, and I'm sipping <laughs> out of a bizen cup made by Junpei Kanashige, uh, <laughs> our very first guest on Meet the Artisan, and uh, who I was lucky enough to meet last year when Robert so kindly drove myself and Cindy out to Bizen from Kyoto and to Junpei's studio. And we also went to uh, Ishida-san's studio as well, Kazuya. So it was wonderful to meet two of the the artisans who had been on Meet the Artisan and meet them at their studio. Robert, thank you so much for that wonderful experience. And having said that, what are you drinking tonight? Um, Well, right now, um, I I finished a flask of uh, Gaki Masamune, Nakadori Honjozo, which is a wonderful sake. And now I'm on to this Masaizumi Hiyoroshi. So I'm on to, this is from Toyama. The first one is up north, I think, Akita. And I'm drinking it from a vessel made by Tsujiseime, who was born in 1927 and passed away around 2008. He was referred to as the Yokozuna sake drinking champion of the East as a potter. Yokozuna, of course, is the sumo grand champion. He made the perfect sake vessels. I'm actually drinking sake from someone who is all too familiar with, uh, for anyone who's uh, ever sat in on a Taste with the Toji Zoom session. I've got the Akino Rumiko from Morikishuzo Rumiko-san's autumn release. So I've just just about finished this bottle off. It's every bit as fantastic as you would think and expect from Rumiko-san. And I mentioned before that I'm kind of the ignorant one when it comes to Yakimono, and I will f- double down on that ignorance by saying I the vessel that I have here, I don't know who made it. I don't know where it's from. I'm ignorant about it. I bought it in uh, Mie Prefecture quite a few years back, and it was in a, um, a gallery of sorts. And as Robert said, you know, just picking out something that just speaks to you, so um, obviously people can't see this, but it's uh, it's blue, like the, the top two thirds or so of it is is this blue shade. And then the bottom is kind of white. I'm for anyone, Australians would be familiar with the bowerbird that collects uh, anything that's blue and makes nests out of anything that's blue. I kind of consider myself a bowerbird. Anything that's blue, my eyes just go straight to it. When I was in the gallery and I, you know, and there's all these brown, yellow, different colored, you know, earthy kind of tones. Uh, and then I saw this blue one and the bowerbird in me just went straight to that. And I was like, I got to have that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's I I don't know who made it. I don't know what it's called, but I just I just love it. This pops out a lot for me um, in summer. I don't know why, but you know, I mean, I guess I do know why because it kind of looks a little bit like the ocean. So this does kind of find itself popping out of the my cupboard quite a lot during summer when I'm getting into some summer suckers. Um, so this is, could be one of the last uh, visits for it as we head well and truly into autumn and then winter. So yeah, um, Julian, I think that's great. You know that you don't know, you don't need to know. Sometimes it's better to be mystified. Right. I am curious. I'd like to, the reason I'd like to know more about it is because I'd maybe like to pick up more pieces from whoever made it, if they've got other ones that are similar to this. Send um, me a photo and I'll see what I can maybe possibly research. I love that. But again, you you know, you don't need to know everything. So, but it's, it's curious. It's, it's a nice curiosity. And like you said, you can contact that person if we find who made it. How happy would that person be? I found your cup randomly and I enjoy it so much that I had to find out who made it. And now I'm talking to you and I'd like some more. You know, every vessel flows out and who's going to own it? You know, whether it be 100 years old, 200 years old, 300 years old, this day, this fortuitous encounter uh, with people, with sake, with places, with food. And, And vessels have that energy as well. And uh, yeah, let's see if we can solve this mystery of Julian's cup. <laughs> we'll see what we can find out. Okay. Maki, your turn. So I'm drinking Gozenshu. This was a competition entry yesterday and everybody loved it. It's a Junmai with, of course, Omachi. It's a beautiful sake. It's chilled lovely and it's really good um, room temperature. And I'm drinking out of cup that I was that was gifted to me by Robert. And it's so big that I don't usually use it often because I have to use two hands to drink out of it. (laughs) I I visited a great Bizen potter many years ago and I said, Sensei, this is a really big sake cup. He goes, ah, you Americans, you think you need to fill everything up. 
fill it up a third and enjoy the empty space. It's got a beautiful glaze inside. It's like a, a, a small galaxy inside inside a sake cup. It's beautiful. Kimura Moriyasu. He does refer to that as the universe mm. in, in, inside and such a glaze master. And it, it's a, just a joy to, to share this with you, Maki. You know, for all that you've given us in the TWTT community, your your com- camaraderie with Shimon and, you know, your translation abilities. It's a joy to give and have somebody enjoy the gift. So with that said, Shimon and Maki and Julian, I'd again like to thank you for inviting me to talk about sake vessels and how they impact flavor, impact the moment, enrich us uh, not only for the nourishment of what they uh, hold, but for the poetry that they share with us as they speak about the joys of sake and Japanese culture. Kampai! Kampai! Cheers! Kampai! Robert, can I ask you as well, for anyone who's like uh, comes to Japan and is, is looking to pick up some yakimono, an experience that I've had a number of times when I've been in a store and looking at pieces is... I'll see something that I kind of think, oh, this looks kind of cool, you know, and I'll pick it up and maybe have a look at it. And if it's talking to the staff and that, and I'll, they'll say, oh, that's actually for that, pe- that cup is actually for tea or that's for this. It's, it's not necessarily for sake. And I'll think to myself, well, once I buy it and take it home, I can do whatever I want with it. Obviously, that's, that's a free for all. Is that like, I mean, how, how firm do you stick on that rule if, if people are looking at something that's maybe supposed to be a tea, you know, something that's used for tea or some other kind of, or shochu even, or some other kind of uh, beverage? Is, are you a stickler for that or, you, you know, who cares? Not at all. Just use it. Right. You know, you know beauty through using something. You know, it's not cast in stone. Um, don't tell anybody this. Oh, wait, we are telling everybody this. <laughs> I have a client whose name will remain anonymous. Robert, if I buy this very valuable chawan, uh, you know, a tea bowl, the highest craft, not craft, but, you know, tea artifact, is it okay if I eat my morning granola in it? I'm like, yeah, sure. If, if that's going to bring you joy, uh, instead of just putting it into your cupboard and waiting for your once or twice yearly matcha event, um, absolutely use it um, because it's not there only to to give you sustenance of what is contained. It's there to enrich and inspire these simple daily events of eating and drinking. So use it as you see. Be creative with it. You know, use it as ever you want to do and that's most important so yeah julian you know a lot of people in in a conservative japanese art world would say no no that's a no no that's a no no but you know rules are made to be broken it's like telling dylan you can't go electric sorry bob you can't go electric there was a countdown there for for how long it was going to be before we got to manage to bring music into this i'm, I'm glad we got there well you know this is pottery has rhythm has color has texture to me, it's 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 a single. It's a it's a B side. It's an A side. You know, pottery, music, art, craftsmanship of making sake are all related. You know, and and people come into my gallery and they say, I don't know about pottery. You don't need to know. You know, do you like music? Look at these as songs. Look at them as paintings that you can hold, that you can use. And they go, Oh, okay. I've just shifted my perspective of what I'm looking at. And, and then they get it. The light goes on, you know, um, without music, without sake, without sake vessels. How boring would life be? Absolutely. You know, um, and this is maybe just exposing myself for someone who drinks more than they should, maybe. But one of the downsides sometimes for, for yaki, uh, yakimono and certain like, you know, ochokos is the fact that they're small. And I don't want to, I'm, I don't, you know, if I'm, if I'm drinking sake while I'm watching TV, I, I'm not sitting there with going through the whole ceremony of pouring from a, a, a tokuri into my, my cup over and over again. I'll go to the fridge, get my, my sake and pour in myself a nice big glass usually and drink from that. And most of the, uh, you know, the, the yakimono vessels that I have are on the smaller side. So, it will require more frequent filling. So I'll, I'll go with glasses. So also when I, if I am looking at buying vessels, sometimes 
honestly, for me, that's that can be something that will stop me from buying something where I'll look at it. It's beautiful. It's really nice. It's a bit small, so it's going to require a lot of uh, refilling <laughs> on my part. So I'm looking, you know, and that's when I again, like I said, when if if I'm in a gallery or a store, and I'll be over in that corner going, "Oh, look, this is a good piece. I like this." And those and the staff might say, "Oh, that's actually for tea. If you're looking for sake cups, they're over this way." And they'll kind of direct you into a different area, and I'm like, "Yeah, but these big ones are kind of more my 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 thing." Yeah, then Absolutely. get the big one. <laughs> then, yeah. then get the big one. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you you don't want to waste time. You know, pausing between the movie uh, right. scene. Like, I gotta go back and fill my tukuri. Get it, get it. You know me. Yeah. You know, fill it to the top, and you know, enjoy every sip and buy in the low. Uh, the, the the movie ends. It's two hours later, and you have a little drop left at the end. Of your <laughs> no rules with that in my book. And if there are rules, they're made to be broken. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, and it's great to hear that you say that. That at the end of the day, if if you've bought it and you've paid for it, it's yours, and it's up to you to use it how you see fit and how you how you would like. Well, I've just switched to a um, Hagi Yaki piece. That is by Hatano Hideo. It is because I'm drinking um, sake from Yamaguchi now. I've moved on to uh, um, sake from Shintani Shuzo, the Botan Wakamosume Junmai Ginjo. Um, wow, lucky you. Lucky me indeed. And yes, you're right, Robert. It is Hideo Hadano, who also featured on Meet the Artisan. And you introduced me to his work. And we got Jim Ryan involved in that session and he interpreted. And it's really wonderful because uh, Jim, well, we've featured Jim on this podcast. And of course, many listeners uh, know him from his work with TWTT in the early days and also his recent book, uh, Discovering Yamaguchi Sake. Maki and I were lucky enough to visit him earlier this year. He he told the story in the episode that we did with him that through, I think, meeting you, Robert, and through doing this session with um, Hadano-san, him and Hadano-san became really good friends and now they're sake drinking buddies. <laughs> yeah, he told me that. He yes. goes, wow, they, he, they're like my family now. <laughs> I go to, that's, he, When he came here a couple of weeks, well, a month or so ago, and we went to a local sake bar and he goes, you know, thank you so much. Now, you know, Hideo, he's like my he's like my 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 second brother in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I just I love that that happened. Yeah, it's wonderful. And it's it's really <clears throat> excuse me, it's really wonderful to see these connections happening, not just through TWTT, but just uh, you know, how how sake and pottery can connect people. And it's it's really wonderful watching Jim's passion for Yakimono uh bloom. And I think his even considering maybe his next book will be on sakeware. So we're very excited to see what happens there. Uh, and no doubt, Robert, you've been a huge inspiration to uh, to him for, for uh, you know, for that concept. And I really look forward to, to what Jim does next. So Robert, you really are um, somebody who uh, has a profound <laughs> effect on on us when uh, when talking about pottery and anyone who hasn't had the uh, the fortune of visiting your gallery people can people can come and just drop in and say hi if you're in Kyoto uh, it's a, it's in a very well known location because it's right near Ginkakuji of course the silver temple uh, and it's right on the philosopher's path but uh, Robert does often have days where he's off collecting works um, or visiting artists or doing tours or all the things that he does. So if you're wanting to visit him, you best contact him first. Um, you are more than welcome just to stop by, have a cup of tea, maybe pour you some sake. It's yeah. a beautiful um, 1935 house built in 1935, old kimono fabric family. Just come visit, have a chat. Uh, go on your merry way along the philosopher's path. Uh, it would be a joy to meet anybody who might be listening to this when you visit Kyoto. I know there's a lot to do in Kyoto and time is limited, but um, if you are so inclined, irashai. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely worth the visit. I mean, it's like walking into a museum and, uh, you know, Robert encourages people to pick up the pieces and, uh, you know, feel them. Whereas a lot of places you walk into, they don't want you touching things. Um, and I, I love that Robert, you go out to dinner with Robert and he'll have a little a little cloth bag 
with about five or six gunomi in there and he'll get one out for everybody that's dining with him and then he'll tell you that something you're holding is a couple of hundred years old (laughs) and you're almost too scared to drink out of it. But his philosophy is it's made to be used and if it breaks, we kintsugi it. We use the art of kintsugi, we put the pieces back together with beautiful gold or or white or whatever colour you choose to use, lines through it, and it gives it a new life. That's literally what Robert did uh, last on Sake Day last year when you were over here and we were drinking down in Kyoto by the river. And I I had, because we were drinking on the river, I had deliberately deliberately, uh, took a a cup that I bought at the 100 yen shop. So I had like a hundred yen shop piece and uh, because, you know, we're drinking by the river, I might lose it. It might break. And then Robert pulls out something and it's like, oh, this is 300 years old. And I was like, wow, I've got to have had a hundred, something from a hundred yen shop. This is a dollar. <laughs> and it was just that scale of um, quality. And also just the fact that like, well, I brought this because I was, so it could be broken if that, you know, or it could get lost, but mm. be devastated if, if uh, the pieces that Robert had brought, you know, were broken or lost. There's a lot of trust there, Robert. <laughs> Well, that's the destiny of everything. Even an object has its own destiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't be afraid uh, if something gets lost. Or um, Once I was at a restaurant in town and I brought an 800-year-old Kamakura period sake cup. And it was on the table. And then the waitress comes by and then all of a sudden it's not on the table. <laughs> I go, uh, excuse me, where's that 800-year-old Oh, we were just about to put it into the dishwasher. That didn't happen. So we got it back. Everything has its own destiny, you know, and if if, if something, you know, gets broken again, you can kintsugiize it. Um, and next time we all drink by the river, you know, um, bring your favorite sake cup and, and, and just enjoy using it and realize that it's not yours anyway. You're just sharing a moment of time with it. And that was a fun night down uh, down by the Kamogawa in Kyoto. Oh gosh, Shimon, when you were in town, it was it was just so special, so magical, so many wonderful moments we had. I, I will always cherish them, particularly the night out in the garage. <laughs> now, folks, don't read anything into that because you weren't there. What happened in the garage stays in the garage, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) That indeed was a fun night. And if Cindy's listening, she'll know exactly what we're talking about. And so will a few others. But moving on, uh, (laughs) one of the other most memorable times was the the visit to Bizen. Speaking about Bizen, Robert, I've uh, I've also got something that was gifted to me. Oh, that's that's a Nakamura piece. You can tell by the lip. Speaking of um, Yokozunas of uh, sake drinking. <laughs> yeah, J- just holding that up, I can see it was made by one of the Nakamura family that, uh, you know, rising and, and lowing, uh, flowing lip. His father, his grandfather was called the king of Bizen sake vessel, Nakamura Rokuro. And I had the pleasure of meeting him many times. He would wake up, walk the dog, and have Nigo. And then he would start work and uh, 10 o'clock, another Nigo. He'd go through an Isho bean every day. He lived to about 87 and um, w- w- is one of the iconic kind of cult figures in the Bizen sake collector's world. His son studied with the son of a living national treasure. Uh, he, the son's name is Nakamura Makoto. And the person who made that is Nakamura Kazuki. So there's nice lineage there. They all love sake. Yeah. Hmm. And the, the, the grandfather's uh, preference of sake was always kembishi. Drank a lot of kembishi. Which was very yeah. fitting because we happened to visit there with Andrew Russell, who is now working for kembishi. So, uh, right. What are the easier destinations for pottery buys? Well, for tourism. In the area as well. Well, you know, you being in Tokyo region, um, the, the the most famous is Machiko up in Tochigi Prefecture, and Machiko is world renowned, most likely the most famous pottery town outside of Japan, uh, because of the influence of Hamada Shoji, 
who was born in the late 1800s, passed away in 1978, but became friends with Bernard Leach, a British potter. And he went to, uh, Hamada went to England, specifically St. Ives in the 1920s, and uh, was, you know, a pioneer, not only in uh, being a, a, a Japanese potter to go overseas at such a time, but to come back and, because he wasn't born in Tochiki, he was born in Kawasaki, but he saw this this uh, teapot in Tokyo and it was made in Mashiko. And since he was one of the founders of the folk craft movement, he wanted to go uh, establish his pottery in this folk craft town of Mashko. And there are a few defining characteristics of Mashko, uh, meaning the glazes that they use, particularly nuka, which is uh, rice husk ash, or persimmon glaze or iron glaze. But he brought a, f- a sense of freedom to the area. And so there's all types of potters making not only traditional Mashko works, but a- everything of their own style, probably about an hour and a half out of Tokyo. But it's not an old kiln. It's only from the mid-19th century that that was established, which is still relatively new. You know, Shimon just mentioned Bizen, where we went. That's a thousand years plus old, and it can date its its history to Sueki ware, Sue ware, which started in the 5th century BC. So, you know, 5th century BC versus the mid-1800s. Okay, but there's still great work being made in Moshko, and that's the easiest place to get. The other one would be Kasama in Ibaraki Prefecture. Not so far from Mashko, different prefecture, pretty much almost on the border with each other. And they both have museums, they both have pottery centers. Uh, So those are the two places that I would suggest you take people to. So if someone were to come to Japan and they were they were, you know, they're not going to spend days and days looking for yakimono and, and, you know, they're, they're kind of time restricted and they're like, well, look, I just want to get the best thing I can for the most, you know, at a reasonable price. And that's something somewhat readily accessible, somewhat easy to find. Is Bizen pretty much the king of yakimono in terms of if, if, you, if, you're, if you're here and you've got to get, you're going to get one, you're going to get one yakimono. Well, it's, you're going to get one it's a little, yeah, it's a really good question, Julian. Um you know, it's a little out of the way to get to. Not right. many people will go to Okayama. Then you got to transfer on the trains. Um, most people go to Tokyo. Mm. And I would say go to Mashiko because, as I mentioned, uh, they have this association with an uh, English potter named Bernard Leach. There's various styles from yakishime, high-fired, unglazed stoneware to glazed wares. You'll see a lot of variety. Um, it's a nice little street you can walk down with all types of shops. Uh, there are international potters there. Um, go to Mashko. Again, not a very ancient kiln, only the mid-19th century, but accessible from Tokyo. Now, if you're in the Nagoya area, uh, you can go to Tokoname, which is Aichi. And uh, it's it's like 40 minutes from Nagoya. And... Uh, ancient town and they've got something called the pottery walk you walk through there's all these little kilns and shops so you know you can contact me i'll tell you where to go so mashko is easy going down to kyushu karatsu but again around the station you can see things in karatsu but most people go to tokyo go to mashko in tochiki prefecture and for those who are perhaps traveling to Kyoto, please make sure you seek out Robert's Gallery and you don't have to buy. You can just go there and simply enjoy what's on the shelves and just enjoy meeting him and talking to him like we all do. Go to his website, which is japanesepottery.com. Very easy to remember. It's been an absolute joy, as always, Robert, talking with you. And of course, Maki, Julian, great to have all four of us in this chat together. Please don't rub your nose oil on the pieces, though. When but you're pl- no, but please do, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think this is the new message that we're sending to people. Please do. This is this is part of the unique experience of visiting Robert Yellen Yakimono Gallery in Kyoto. 
you can rub your nose oil on the piece. <laughs> then maybe not, maybe not do it in other places though then. <laughs> no, this is an exclusive <laughs> offer. <laughs> Robert, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. Uh, well, I, I, I can't thank you enough. And before we sign off, let's just wish everybody that's that's listening a very, very happy sake day. As Robert said, every day should be sake day. Um, Julian, Maki, Robert, it's been a treat. To finish off, let's raise our gunomi in a kampai to sake. And thank you all. Yes. For- kampai, yes. kansha. Yes, kampai. Enjoy sake, folks. Bye. Kampai. Bye. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of TWTT, the podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode. This one you've just heard, uh, in actual fact, we were chatting for a little over three hours. So editing was interesting, shall we say, and I will sift through the edited bits and uh, see what I can add to the Patreon page. Thank you to our subscribers over at Patreon and thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast. We really appreciate your support. So until next time, stay safe, be kind and keep enjoying sake. Sonny.